From the 915 to H-Town, from the Panhandle Plains to the Valley, and everywhere in between, this is the 5050 Podcast, powered by National Scouting Report. Join me, Hector Cano, as we cover the Texas high school club and college soccer landscape, along with an inside look at the college soccer recruiting scene. The 5050 Podcast is a platform about the people and for the people who are dedicated to the beautiful game. Here we go. It's another edition of the 5050 Podcast. Powered by our proud partners, NSR, National Scouting Report. They are the world's leading authority on athletic recruiting. You can get more information on what they're about on social, on Twitter, at NSR Now, or X, if we want to call it that now. On Instagram, at NSR underscore now, as well as on their website at NSR-Inc.com. My next guest, he joins us for episode 98. This has got to be the quickest I've done back-to-back episodes with with a guest, (laughs) for a returning guest. Uh, He joined us last week in uh, our uh, TASCO convention, Texas High School Soccer Coaches Convention in Galveston. Had a little mini episode with him, and he's back for a full episode talking about the many great things he's doing at multiple levels in the game. He is the assistant men's soccer coach as well as the – Winthrop University, as well as the founder of Texas Soccer Network. He is Coach Zane Barnes. Coach, how are you? Hector, man, thank you for for having me here. And uh, great conversation this last week. Obviously, we'll hit on some different topics today, but I survived Thanksgiving. I know you did as well. And so just in the recovery phase right now for all the food. (laughs) Fresh off his uh, tryptophan coma. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Yes, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to you. I know you're there in the office working hard, getting ready to work a camp this weekend. We'll get into that a little bit more later. Uh, but uh, just tell us, uh, how's the Thanksgiving? How are things going? Right. I know we obviously we got to speak last week a good bit, but how are things since then? Busy. Glad to be home. My, my wife is glad that I'm home, too, but um, very calm and uh, boring Thanksgiving Day, which is, was great for for me and my wife. Um we had, we, uh, we actually babysat some dogs. Um, a lot of our friends that, that we live around, they were going on trips. So we said, Hey, we're staying home, just pack the dogs in. So we had Thanksgiving, me and my wife, and then three dogs. So, um, a lot of fun, but it it was really nice because obviously I saw you at Tasco and that's a hectic time. And so Right. Uh, four, four days. And even, even beyond that two day, I spent Monday through Wednesday that week recruiting in Houston. So mm-hmm. uh, being gone a whole week, it was nice to kind of get home. And um, I don't watch a lot of American football, but Thanksgiving, I think that that's kind of a part of it. So I did that for a little bit and uh, excited to be here today. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. How was your, you know, obviously we're going to talk a little bit more about Tasco later, but how was just the, the trip in general to Texas in terms of, just the recruiting front, everything. How did all that go? I know you were there for what, about a week, right? Yeah. Yeah. For a week. So crashed on a lot of couches um, through the week, saved a little bit of money, but really good. Uh, As you know, it's a couple of weeks. I mean, it's a week before the break to where high school soccer is about to kick off. So there's a lot of buzz at high schools, especially in the soccer program. So getting out from previous years, recruiting wise, knowing some schools that, 
have players that that we definitely wanted to look at was able to stop by and, and to see some of those kids um, from a distance and obviously connect with staffs uh, of coaches that that I've had connections with. So it was a lot of fun. Obviously, lived a number of years in Houston as well. So it was kind of good to see some some old old friends uh, that that I still conversate with quite a bit. But just it was good to have kind of face to face lunches and dinners with them. Yeah, you know, you come back now as you come back as the college coach, right? With a lot of a lot of peers, colleagues, if you will. What is that like? Where you know them? Obviously, you've known them for a long time. You're wearing a different hat now. How does how do some of those conversations go? A lot, lot the same. Um, and, and a lot of that is because I've I've been in and out. So started as a high school coach, went to the college sector, went back to high school, went back to college, and so a lot of the people that I know that are high school coaches and in, in definitely in the Houston area. Most of them knew me as a college coach prior anyway. Um, but a lot of the guys in the Houston area were guys that I kind of, uh, when I got started in, they were around me. So they know, I would like to say as coaches, we all progress, the older we get, the more we know, um, the more experiences we have, but they knew me at the very beginning. So they are free to give me crap about just about anything. And so they, they bring up a lot of old stories. And so, I got to relive those sometimes, but uh, great guys. And to be honest, a lot of who I am and what I am as a coach is because of the, those guys. So um, it's fun to hang out with them. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I bet. Right. You can you can run, but you can't hide. Right. When it comes yeah. to that stuff. <laughs> so, you know, we're going to talk about first. We're going to look at your the season that was the 2023 season at Winthrop. Right. Your fall season. We know you finished third. You know, you had a great, a solid, very solid season, right? Finishing third in, in the big South there. Uh, tell us a little bit, just your thoughts. When you look back on the 2023 season, um, any big uh, surprises Did things go kind of the way you guys expected? How did, how did that break? Well, it started, um, started kind of with a bang to, to be fair. We, and this is not a, a shocker room in major. And so, we find ourselves on the road quite a bit at division one, especially here on the East coast. Um, I think we only had five, five home games um, this year. And so the, the rest of the other 12, 13 are on the road. So our first one out the gate um, that counted was coastal Carolina, which used to be a, a massive rival to Winthrop back in the day when they were in the same conference. And so played extremely well and got a, a one Oh win. I'm sorry, two nil win. Uh, to, to kind of get one and zero on the on the start, and then from there we had a lot of ups and downs, and mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's the way that it goes sometimes. I've I've been in the program for two years. Dan Ridenauer has been here for almost twenty years, uh, and he's seen a lot of success through Winthrop in their glory days. Um, and so we're through what all different kinds of factors. We're kind of going a different route in recruiting style of play those kind of things. So we're starting to see benefits of it. Um, but we're as, as you know, you hear in a lot of different sports, we're kind of still in the process. And so I think we found out this season that we're learning how to win. We're, we're learning how to do little things right to get results. And so I think if you look back at the season, we had a, we had a, a positive uh, outcome in conference, but non-conference was definitely not good enough. And so, mm-hmm. um, I think moving forward, it's not so much now that we're just preparing for conference matches. It's, hey, how do can we prepare for even non-conference? 
yeah. games outside of what our conference is. And for a lot of coaches that, um, whether it's this level or any other level, with the amount of back-to-back games that you have um, throughout the season, whether it be sometimes you could even have three games in a calendar week. When you have these non-conference games, you really have to be smart about who gets playing time, what guys come off the bench to really give a lot. And so I think we're finding out, um, number one, um, the, the way that we want to play, but then two, getting guys in the building that we can say, okay, you're not, I would say, quote, unquote, a consistent starter through the conference, but you're a guy that can come in and we trust you and we believe in you that you can help get us results outside of conference. And so I think we're kind of in that mix right now yeah. to where um, we're, we're feeling more confident with that. And then obviously that job's already started happening within the recruiting process. Yeah. Now what's the philosophy there, whether it's both you, you know, Coach Rittenauer collectively, what's the philosophy there? Because obviously one one can point to the fact that, hey, maybe, maybe our – our level of competition in non-conference was a direct result in, in preparing us for our conference success, right? You can you look at it from different angles, right? So how do you how do you tackle that balance and knowing how to I don't know how to how to qualify that data, right? When you're when you look back on the conference schedule and then you start schedule or non-conference, I should say, and then you look at it, you start looking at your scheduling for next year. Yeah, I mean, for for us, and I say us, because um, Dan, we, we chat about this all the time as well. It's uh, it for me and us. It comes down to preparation. Um, it's very easy to get up and and to be that guy in a conference game underneath the lights, whether it be at home or away in conference on a match that you know you have to win. It's a little different when you're in the grind of the non-conference and you're you know you're on a bus for three hours to play this match. And then two days later you're, you're going there. And so at the end of the day, it's preparation. So can our guys, can we as a staff um, and then a program as a whole create a, a mindset and a culture for preparation to where no matter where we're going, no matter who we're playing against, no matter, you know, if we think our backs are against the wall or for the favorite, can we go out and consistently put in a performance that we're trying to um, implement in training? And I think and we think that that's where we, we can and we will get better for this next season. We're, we're, we believe we're getting the right guys in the building. And from there, it comes down to a lot of things that don't have to do with technical ability. And so right. those are the things that we're really um, moving forward with. If you look over the roster over the last couple of years, there's definitely been kind of a change within the roster. And a lot of that just has to do with the style of, of play that we want. And then what we're trying to move forward within this program to be successful where we are in our conference and then obviously in our region. So there's been an influx of pl- new players. And so that's great in that the ability we we believe is at, at the highest that it's been in a while. But even with that, there there's some negatives as far as can we have everybody come together, buy in into the same culture, into whatever we have within our program at Winthrop, and can we move forward together? And I think that's kind of where we're at right now, just trying to, to put one foot in the other and, and to be better each day. How would you describe for people who maybe haven't seen, you know, Winthrop men's soccer play, right? 
not a scouting report, but just how would you describe the philosophy behind the style of play um, if you were describing your own program? What would you say? Yeah, we we I, it's, it's very easy for, for coaches and for, for teams to say we want the ball, we want to value the ball. But we if you watch our matches, there's a lot of times where we get found out lacking in some of those areas, but we really do value the ball. We want it. Uh, we want guys – from every position, from the goalkeeper up to the to the top line player, to to want to be on the ball, uh, and that was a little counterintuitive to us this season. We felt we were actually an extremely well ran transitional team. Uh, we were very good on the counter. We didn't necessarily think that that was a bad thing. We wanted to add that layer to us being able to be on the ball and have it. Um, we just really weren't there uh, so much that this season, but for us. We want to get a lot of numbers around the ball. We want to be able to express us, ourselves positively. We, ultimately, for us as a staff, and I think for the whole of most people um, coaching, whether it be Division One, Two, Three, JUCO, we all have this idea of what the game is. A, a lot of times, is it's our responsibility to progress the game forward, and obviously, the better that the game looks, is is better for the for, for the game itself. And so we really try to play that way. Honestly, we're not the biggest team. If, if you look at our heights and weights compared to those teams that we play, we're going to be a little bit smaller. So a direct style of play does not necessarily help us. I grew up in Texas. And so I, most of your listeners are in Texas. So the style of play in Texas is a lot different than what it looks like in New York or Michigan mm -hmm. and for a lot of various reasons, just like it always looked different, you know, in Mexico than it does in the premier league um, for various reasons. And so for us, we believe in the way that we play, but we also believe in, in the guys that we have, we have to play a certain way. And so gotcha. we ultimately are trying to build this thing to where it doesn't matter if we're playing someone in conference. It doesn't matter if we're playing Clemson, that's two hours on the way, or UNC or Duke or Wake. Can we have a philosophy and can we have guys buy into that philosophy to where we can still have an advantage, no matter you know what kind of recruiting prowess another program has? So before you get before you get to the fall of 2024, right? You got to go through the spring where Clearly, the focus is development, right? You're younger, you're younger guys. But within that, what is maybe as you go into the spring, what is maybe uh, something that you all are starting to zero in on? Maybe a point of emphasis uh, for your squad this spring. It's a great question. Um, this is only my really. This is going to my third uh, spring season. The first spring season, uh, just in the doors, didn't know a name. Last year was a little different just because we talked about an exodus of players and new players coming in. We had a very thin roster in the spring, um, and it wasn't very successful for us at all uh, based on results. Um, so it's it's really hard we, to know that we have new pieces coming in, but they're not here yet. But we still right. need to work with guys that are in the building right now. This year is a little bit different in that the majority of our players – uh, that, that we think can contribute are in this group. We are going to sprinkle some in uh, as we we come in for next season, seven or eight guys. So this year is going to be great for us because for the spring, this is where development happens. In the fall, like you said, development doesn't happen. It's about 
finding the best 11 with some guys that can buy in on the back end of that to win games. That's what college soccer is. And so for us in the spring, we want to identify guys, technical and tactical things that they do really well that we want them to emphasize when we get into a bigger group, say a match. And then also, so can they work on their the technique in those situations of what who we want them to be? And then within that, can we continue to nail down our style of play? Because for us, that was the one thing that we were never really consistent on throughout the season. So we have a lot of things to really look at, to be honest. We're not going into the spring season saying, okay, let's just fill our time. Let's see if we can get stronger, faster, which are all things we're trying to do. But for us specifically, it's can our players understand who we know they are and who we want them to be? Can they work on that technically? And then can we kind of format that into an actual system and style of play? Because we have all these buzzwords and concepts we want to style of play. But at the end of the day, when players get on the field, can they have concepts and ideas they can do individually, but then also within the group of the players? And can they see these tendencies and traits and be able to accomplish something and have us kind of sit on the sideline to where, you know, we're not we're not calling plays. This is not not the sport is. And so can we prepare our guys better um, for an, a game plan for a 90 minute match? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, clearly, and we'll get into it a little bit more later, but this is not your first stop coaching in the college level, maybe at the D1 level, but not within the college world. But uh, but it was in Texas previously. So when you got when you got up to South Carolina, right, you get to Winthrop. What was maybe the biggest surprise for you regarding more than just D1, but maybe Winthrop as a school, as a program, yeah. whatever? Uh, I would say, and this, this, I don't want to try to answer it in an easy way, but I, I would say the competitive competitiveness of, of everything. And I don't mean just by the players that are on the field, but um, an expectation. So, you know, student, hyphen athlete, I, I think thinks massive, like what the players, especially, and I'm saying this from a division one, rather than where I was um, at a junior college or in division three, just what their day looks like, the things that they have to go through and have to do and have to be on top of to be able to be successful at this level. And so right. I think I presented this, I think last week to Tasco, we just talked about it for coaches. And I said, Hey, you, if you want to help your players move on, you have to know the level. And so as many years as I've been in the college game or in the high school game and helped players move on, I've never consistently sat down and solved the division one level um, for any consistent level of time. So my concept of players and ability and, and all those little nuances has changed since I've been here just because I've been around, I've been consistently thrown into it for, for years. And so, now it's okay. This player can fit here, or this player is not going to be successful at this level because of this. And I think coming into the season, not that I didn't know that, but I just had no point of reference. Gotcha. Well said. I like that. That's a good breakdown, too. Um, so, looking at it from various levels, and that's kind of why I preluded the question with that piece. So, question that I got here here's a question actually that we got from this one was sent in from soccer dad anthony right via twitter via x where where you'll love this one i'm sure you get it asked from time to time where is winthrop we are in an amazing place and and i know it's very easy for me to give that plug by being a coach here but 
we are in Rock Hill, South Carolina. So if you fly into Charlotte, we are 25 minutes south across the North Carolina border into South Carolina. And so um, we're is famous. It really, is it really only 25 minutes from Charlotte? Only 25 minutes from the airport. If you I flew see. in, it'd take me 25 minutes to get to you. Um, yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was about an hour, hour and a half. No, no, we're we're 45 minutes north of Columbia, um, the capital. So. Uh, but a, a great suburban area. There's a if you like the outsides, we have everything. The beach is within three hours. The mountains are within two, two and a half, and so there's there's a lot to do um, around the area. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty. I remember, I remember seeing it before. It's pretty awesome. So, yeah, that one was <laughs> that was one that was sent in. Um, how often do you? I'm curious. Do you get that? Do you get that one pretty often from recruits? I don't necessarily get where, but we have, there's a very, very successful division two school. That's probably an hour away in Charlotte and it's called mm -hmm. Wingate and we're Winthrop. And so we, uh, I mean, I can't tell you how many emails or conversations I get and they confuse the two. Right. Right. I'm sure that coaching staff appreciates that as well. Right. Oh, I mean, we, we probably pass off emails every couple of months that right. we're a kid thinks you're sending it to us, they send it to them and vice versa. So, yeah, good, good deal. So coaching in the big South, right? Uh, big South conference, kind of a, we can definitely make the argument very much. So an underrated conference, uh, especially on the men's side. Um, what has that been like? You know, I, I'm a, I love asking this particular question, right? With coaches, it doesn't matter whether it's a college coach or a high school coach. Um, with the high school coaches, it's typically their district, but with the college coach, it's their conference. It's like, hey, if I if I was to sit down and maybe watch multiple teams from the Big South, your conference, right? What would maybe be a key characteristic or a personality of no matter what team, I'm going to see certain certain personality traits of the conference? What would you say? What is that like? Yeah, no, it's a it's, it's a great kind of conversation topic point because it's something that's been brought up. It, it gets brought up quite a, a lot and not so much from recruits and potential players, but to be fair, coaches within division one, we, we have these conversations all the time. Yeah. So for the big South, we're, I think we were RPI ranked as a, as a conference 19th out of 23. So obviously us as a conference, we have, we've had conversations where we, you know, if we're playing against each other, we don't root for the other person. But when we're at a conference, like we're always rooting for our conference teams right, because, right. like you said, Division One just in general is, is so competitive. I think there, I, I honestly, there might be one or two teams within Division One where a team can go in and say, hey, you know, that's most likely a win. But other than that, on any given day. Absolutely. And so, and, and even teams in our conference has shown that this last year, beating Power Five teams or getting results against teams that are actually still in the tournament. But for us, for me, I would say work the work ethic. We are, our conference for the most part, are blue collared guys. Um, they have a, a lot of chips on their shoulders to be on. If I'm going to be honest with you, our better players feel like they were snubbed by power fives. And our, I say our worst players, our, our players probably at the bottom end, are just trying to show like, Hey, I belong to be here. And so, mm -hmm. uh, the competitiveness gets pretty high. If, if you probably pulled up fouls and cards, our conference is pretty high up there. I would imagine. Um, we don't condone that, but that's just kind of right. the way that that conference kind of played out this year. I mean, for us, 
it's something that we've got to fix with within our group. But we played, I think, three games down in conference um, player-wise just because of kind of the, the, the speed of, which it, of, of what the games played. And some of that you could probably say, you know, if teams value the ball a bit more and could show that they could hold it, maybe the defending kind of backs off a bit. But at our level, in our conference – most everybody is on the same par. If you if you look at our conference tournament, nobody nobody won a match in regular time. It was in extra time or in PKs in our conference tournament. And so High Point is obviously the top dog. They show that over the last couple of years, and they're right. a fantastic group. Um, and their coaching staff is phenomenal. Um, Asheville did a great job this year kind of coming out of the woodwork, and they were really good, and they almost won the conference. Uh, Gardner-Webb. Some giant killers earlier in the season. People, Power Fives did not want to play them, and so uh, there, there's a lot of good schools in our conference, and it's very competitive. And our, especially the new guys that have come into our program, they found out really quickly that there is no free game in this conference. Um, and at at any point, you have to be on all the time because anybody can beat anybody. Um, Radford, who didn't do well in the conference, beat Virginia Tech, and so. Um, there, our conference is definitely on the uptick. It, it, it's moving in the right direction. And so we're all of us, I, I could say we're kind of ready for 2024. We're already looking to see, you know, who's playing where at home, who's away, what advantage do we get here? Because obviously in our conference, you have to win home games. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well said. Hey, I love that breakdown. Great stuff. So we're going to highlight a couple of places because obviously you've been multiple places prior to Winthrop, but Tell us your previous stop before that. You were at the JUCO level, right? Northeast Texas Community College. What was that transition like going into and then coming out of JUCO into to Winthrop? It was a really fun experience. And when I say fun experience, uh, I say that I that that's probably the most growth I've had as a coach in a very short period of time mm-hmm. in that I'd been a head coach previous before that I was in the college um, sector as an assistant on both sides. Before that, I took the job March. I'm sorry. I took the job June of COVID. And so when I took the job, there was only one player on the roster for the men's program. And I was actually slated to be the head coach of the men and the women. So I had June, July to really build not not a not even a that was one player on both rosters combined correct and so you couldn't go out and recruit um so everything was done through film luckily i still had connections through international recruiting services and uh i I was a high school coach so i had a lot of connections that that way we built a team players were fantastic you know that they were all coming from different areas, had some really good ability, had some players that had very, very limited ability, but um, they all wanted to be there for the same reason. And so mm-hmm. the coaching side of it was was tremendous. It was it was really fun. And so spent two years there, learned a lot. Um, the biggest thing I learned, I think, because this was my first time in the college sector to where, you know, 10% of our jobs on the field, 90% is – is everything else. And so what people only really, what people see is the 10%. Right. I saw the field coaching, doing uh, practice games, those kind of things. And so, you know, going through paperwork, uh, 
managing players, the men's team and the women's team, uh, having accountability for the assistant coaches and their roles and responsibilities, I think, were things that really helped me kind of take the next step in, in what I do as a profession. And so really enjoyed my time there. Admin were great. Uh, the athletic director really was a great guy in that. And what, when I say that, he never micromanaged. He said, Zane, you were hired in to do this job. I trust you. I put, your, I put my name behind you. Um, obviously, you screw up. You need to come see me. Um, but within that, you know, make mistakes. You know, build the program to what you want. And, and obviously came in after Dean Johnson, who was there, super successful. Um, he's an associate head coach, still in the tournament right now with uh, Loyola Marymount in California. And so super successful. Obviously, I would have loved to have some of his kids kind of kind of around, but that's the way that definitely the JUCO side of it works. So, right, right. Um, But I think for us as, as coaches in our profession, what we have to look at is say, okay, what did it look like when we came in? What is it looking like when we're out the door? And if there's been a pro- progression, whether it's wins or losses or with growth of players, I think that's where we have to really evaluate ourselves on and say, okay, did, was I able to help move the program forward? And did, did we help kids get better pathways or avenues or help them grow as, as human beings? And so I, I, I really enjoyed my time there. Yeah. Now you arrived there at a very – I mean, that's like a kind of ground zero period, right? Because of, you know, it's junior college, JUCO is very different now since the days of of COVID, right? Um, the level of talent that's playing there, right, is has just really just skyrocketed. Um, but what is maybe from when you arriving there, any maybe preconceived notions that you may have thought, right? What, uh, what was maybe the, or what, would, what do you feel you could describe to people as maybe the absolute biggest misconception, dead wrong when it comes to JUCO? I thought it was going to be easy to win, um, which is which was my biggest mistake in that the way that it worked during COVID year is that fall they didn't have a season. Like We were able to play a couple of matches, three or four, and then your actual season was like the, the district season in the spring. And so coming in, built my roster of guys. I'm thinking, man, this is going to be fun. We're going to be, you know, I got some international guys. I've got guys from Houston, Dallas, San Antonio that I really think are great players that I've known in the past. We come out in the in the fall. I think we have four scrimmages and we just light it up. We do really well. So going into the actual season for the spring, I was like, man, this is going to be a cakewalk. You know, I'm going to be national coach of the year, all that kind of stuff. You know, the things that we kind of think about and, the level was a lot different and the level was a lot different because uh, some kids came in to the sector for the spring. They really weren't out there for the fall, but um, competition wise, like the top, top level is ridiculous in Juco. You have guys that mm-hmm. have played internationally overseas. Uh, they might be 24, 25. They, they could have, already been through the pro pathway and not been paid and they're coming here and they are legitimate pros um, even so much that division one won't take them. And so the top level of players in Juco are, are pros. And that's the best way I can say it. So getting a collection of, of guys or girls to buy in at from the highest level to maybe so on that 
you know, college really wasn't an avenue for them, but they were going to play an American player that they wanted to come on and play. And so you have this massive range of ability and mindset, and you've got to have them push in the same direction uh, for, for going from ashes. And the same way on the women's side. On the women's side, I had two Haitian national team players uh, that just wanted a better life for themselves. And yeah. so they played for the Haitian national team. And then I had girls on the team that may might have picked the game up four or five years ago. And so there was a big difference there. So trying to get them together to speak the same language as far as the game goes and having them buy in and to do something, that was a, a definitely challenge. Every, there was a wide range of where they were coming from, whereas at my level, Division One, most kids are around the same. Um, mm-hmm. They've played at a high level before. They understand the tactics for the most part, um, depending on what style of play they have. So it's very easy to get those – players together whereas juco is all over the map yeah so this part so a two-parter here right coach for for both the the student athlete right who's somewhere there in high school right now maybe they're going into their senior year and even the coach right the the high school coach who's looking at maybe considering taking the next step coaching at the next level right why should they consider um rather than go change the mindset of think because some still think it right they don't they don't know what they don't know other than what they're told that generally hey the junior college is an inferior product or it's you're less than somehow which is far from the truth but um for the coach or the student athlete that's maybe that's an option or they're considering it but they're not quite sure when it comes to junior college what would you recommend to them well, I'm a math guy. I was a math major in school and I taught math in high school. So I would tell them to go look at the facts, look at the stats. And so if you pull up division one soccer and you go and you look at all the junior college players that are in division one, division two, NAI, it is a massive amount of players. And so, uh, like you said, even when I got into it, I, I didn't understand how much it's being used. And so the best way that I could express it is, if a guy or girl has shown that they can compete at that level, they're already two years into school. If I take them on in the, as a four-year institution, I only have to pay for two years if I'm giving them a scholarship. They're two years older, so they're more mature. Uh, it's less of a growth process. They can come in and play right away. And so for me, it's a win-win. Now, it's a different path. You have to make sure a lot of those times, and I say this, I don't mean this in a, in a bad way, but depending on, there are some JUCO schools that are phenomenal. They, they, you're, you get on campus and you're like, this is not a junior college. This is a legitimate right. university, Eastern Florida, Tyler junior college. Um, those kind of institutions, you know, I don't want to say the word grind, but junior college is a grind. You have to love the game. You have to be committed to your studies because even though junior college might be academically a little bit easier, you don't have the same resources. You, you probably have it in a four-year institution in that no one's, if the coach isn't getting on to you about not going to class or getting your work in, like it's on you. And so if a player is going to go that route, they have to understand what the bigger picture is. And so if there is a bigger picture, then I would say definitely consider junior college. I went to a private uh, four-year school. I'm 35 years old. I am not done paying my student loans yet. And so uh, 
JUCO could have been a route for me. I, mm -hmm. I, to be fair, when I send that check in every month, I'm kind of thinking that I probably should have gone that route a little bit. So low cost, ton of ton of athletic aid. Uh, you can get uh, depending on the school, but the JUCO Division One, it's 18 scholarships, and so for us, Division One is only 9.9. .9. Mm -hmm. So there's way more opportunity to right. get a legitimate athletic scholarship at that level than there is at ours. Right. Yeah. And it's one of the questions or one of the conversations I have with recruits regularly with PSAs that we work with is like, hey, sometimes this may this may be the uh, the best route, not the quickest, but the best route to get where you ultimately want to be right with it, that four year school that you're talking about. And so, yeah, well, I'm going to and I'll, I'll I'll talk about the big elephant in the room is that there's a lot of junior colleges out there that would compete and probably beat division ones. And a lot mm -hmm. of that, some of that could be because some of those kids, some of those athletes aren't going to be division one eligible, So they would never be able to come in, but soccer wise, they, I, I could probably name 20 schools that could compete at our level and get, get results, get wins. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. So we talk, you know, one of the things that you and I got to speak about last week uh, at the Tasco convention was, so your background, as a high school coach, right at Atascacita, Pine Pine Tree, to name a few, um, how did you feel from that perspective? How did that better prepare you? Uh, and obviously, I know you've been on the club side as well, but from the high school side, how did you feel like that better prepared you for your current role there at Winthrop, and then of course as well when you stepped in there at uh, Northeast Texas? Yeah, I mean, my first head coaching job was at 25 years old, and so. Yeah. That, that's something that you don't really prepare for. Uh, so I was kind of thrown to the fire to where I, I had to I had to experiment. I had to fail. I had to try new things. And if I felt I had to go back and say, what could I do different? And the things that I liked I had to take, I actually had to reflect and say, OK, I got to remember this and I want to continue to do this. So I was kind of able to shape my coaching self philosophy, my self identity, the things that I found valuable to me. And I was able to build that from an earlier standpoint than probably a lot of coaches that are in my position right now that have been in the game for 10, 12 years at, at Division One, to where, you know, maybe they were at director of ops first. And so they did a lot of watching. They didn't do a lot of coaching. And then, you know, from that role, they came into like a second assistant to where they were able to do little things here or there. And then into, you know, the first assistant where they were able to do a lot of the training, then into, you know, uh, the recruiting coordinator. So I think I left college to go right into my first head job as a high school coach and then parry that on to where I was a high school coach for uh, eight years. And so, yeah, the levels were a little bit different, but coaching's coaching. And so I, I was able to have a lot of time to, to, to mess up, to, to find out what I don't like about my coaching, what the players don't like about my coaching and how I can try to alter that and change it. And so um, I, th I think that was uh, really a, a, it is a testament to where I'm at. I'm not a conventional path, to be honest, um, from where at where I'm at or where I want to be. And every day that's something that I have to that I have a chip on my shoulders about that I have to go out and say, hey, you know, this is my resume. So I have to go and say, here's my resume, but this is what I can do. This is what I want to do, what I'm driven to do. And yeah. so um Again, I, I, it was a fantastic experience. I, I think more coaches, if they could get into 
a high school coaching job in Texas, I think you're going to be better for it because there's a lot of resources in high schools in Texas that that are afforded to you. And so what do you do with that? You have the class period. You have, you know, financial resources to to benefit your program. Massive amounts of of players that play. Where I'm at, South in North Carolina, soccer's big on the East Coast, but high schools for some for me, from what I've seen on the outside, aren't generating the quality of players that you see back in Texas. Um, I was at Atascacita, we would have 120 girls trying out mm-hmm. and, and trying to find out like I can't make I can't put everybody into the three teams that we have and some girls that were playing club soccer not making the high school team. That's unfathomable. But in some areas of Texas, that is how it works. And so uh, man management, I think, is massive. Being able to deal with parents. We don't necessarily have to deal with parents on our end. But having to do that when I was a high school coach definitely prepared me to have those conversations with the players that we have today. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> when I got to uh... – when I got to the Air Force Academy there and I was coaching there, right, at the college level, I thought, right, going in, I thought I wasn't, and I don't like to use the word deal, right, but I didn't think I would have the level of interaction with parents that I ended up having, right? Um, and a lot of it was good. Don't get yeah. me wrong. A lot of it overwhelmingly was good. It was great. Um, but in terms of when I thought it's like, okay, this is college now, this is D1, obviously I don't have to deal with with parents or whatever. And They're that, always around. That was clearly not the case, right? Yeah. <laughs> e me, yeah. as as they like to say. So. Yep. Um, we're not we're not a counter sport. We're you know uh, so everybody in our, uh, on our roster is not f- fully scholarship. We're not football. We're not basketball. So play. So there are investments. Even though you know absolutely. we've we've offered and we want a certain player, they're still paying a bit of their role to be into the program. So. Um, you know, you get a voice. Now, if the voice counts or not, you know, that's, you know, that's to be said, but uh, yeah, you're definitely, we're we're still involved with the parental aspect at some level. Absolutely. Question in here from uh, Eric Eric Alonzo. Uh, Zane, where do you see yourself ultimately in your coaching career? What is your dream job? Oh, Eric Alonzo. Uh, I love me some Eric Alonzo. So that goes back to our days working at SMU camps, but he's, a fantastic coach and uh, career wise. I've said this from day one. And I think peaking, personally, I think you're peaking right now. You're, you're on the 50, 50 podcast. It can oh man. Yeah. Out. You're a man. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I can't get better than this. Um, <laughs> Go ahead, coach. Sorry about that. I, I've said this from day one. It's just being on the full coaching. I'm, I'm still in that part of my life and my career that I don't care if it's with a U 11 team with, a high school girls team, a boys team, a division one team, a JUCO team, a division three team, but just coaching, like getting out and helping players become better at something that they want to become better at. And even more than that, maybe help them become better at something that they don't even see within themselves. And so uh, love where I'm at. Uh, this is, I think if you're a coach, there's a bit bigger vehicle than just the game. And so getting around, for me, young men that have these goals that that I sit back and say, man, I, I want to help them. Uh, they don't think that they, you know, I want to see what they want to go to. And can we push them to be even something even better than that? And so I think that's kind of where I'm at now. Ultimately, um, you know, I'm learning a lot from Dan, um, who, who I said he's 
and I'll plug him again because he's he's been here, he's seen it, he's done it. Right. Uh, he's been through a ton of changes at Winthrop from the good to the bad to us getting back to where you know we kind of want to be. And so I, I think I would not be doing a good service to myself to not to pick out every you know thing that I like that I'm seeing here. Um, ultimately, uh, you know, being being able to 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 run a ship eventually and in a, in a in a place like this would would obviously be fantastic um but but i do know this as well that your job is a lot easier when you're working with people that you respect and you like absolutely. and i've been on both sides of that before and and being here i absolutely love it and so um you know dan's dan's trusted me enough to to, to bring me in and um say man i want to bring in this ex high school coach and you know, yeah. we, we see yeah, the kudos, game. To him. kudos to him. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We, we see the game a lot of the same way. Uh, we're, we're trying to do things a little differently here in recruiting and we're just kind of mid process in that. And so I give him a lot of credit for being bold because his name's on the door. It's very easy for me to advocate for something um, when I'm a guy kind of a little bit behind the scenes, but when your name's on the door and the buck stops with you, it it takes a lot of courage and conviction to, to feel a certain way. And so um, enjoy, enjoy where I'm at. Our admin's fantastic. The, the campus is great. Um, so I'm just very pleased about where I'm at. Yeah. You know, you hit on two things there that they've been such big points of emphasis. Um, I found, I find myself like I've been, I've been speaking to it a lot over the course of probably the last two weeks, whether it was before Tasco at Tasco on Twitter as well <clears throat> and offline with certain coaches. And that is, you get on two of them, right? Is the developmental pathway of our coaches, right? Is allowing yourself time to develop, allowing yourself time to figure out. It's like, Hey, just, just as you said, right. Whether it's from, from director of operations to second assistant to first assistant to, you know, anywhere in between. And then maybe you're ready for a head job. But that process, that that concept is designed to take place with the educational piece of it's not a matter of how quick can you go from your your C, your D to your C, your your C to your B license and A license. It's it's what's hap what's happening in between those periods. Right. So such a big point of emphasis, I think. So I'm glad to hear you say that. And then the other one too is the level really is like we've got to change our way of thinking when it comes to that because everybody wants to be the varsity coach, the D1 yep. coach, right? The When the reality of it is, is we find ourselves all collectively complaining about just the youth system in this country. But if you really want to affect change, we need some of those super intelligent, super wise, super experienced, super dynamic coaches. We need them running, you know, junior academies, Music academies yeah. programs, right? That's where they need to be right in their communities. That's what, that's where it needs to be. Those need to be considered. We need to look at those as top jobs. Right. Um, and until we can shift that mindset more, I think we're going to continue to scratch our head with some of the, some of the developmental pieces in our country. Well, I think um, in your 100% right, I think when I look back into my own pathway, Early on, it was a lot about, okay, where can I get to next? I'm always looking for the, for my progression, whether – and I do courses for U.S. soccer, and I think this was the biggest outtake I've taken from being involved in that thus far is self-reflection. 
Um, it's very hard to, for, it was very hard for me to have self-reflection in my day to day. Um, and then the course of seasons when I'm always looking to progress to the next thing. Um, and I think you can definitely do that, but I think for us as coaches, self-reflection is, is, is massive. And so whatever role that you're in, how can you be better? How, how can we better do those things? Because no matter how we move up or what, what next position, you're still going to be doing the same things that you're currently doing. Your role just might be a little different. Correct. Correct. And a great shout out there from uh, Eric Alonzo again. Uh, good answer. Great content. All the best. He's the gaff man. He's, he's the real deal. Thank you. Mac MacArthur Irving. I believe that's it. So yeah. they got a great yeah. coach. Another uh, another Mac coach, another McCarthy. We're going to have to link up there, Coach Alonzo. So that's two of the three MacArthur's there in the States. So, all right. Um, we start transitioning here, Coach. We talk about um, your role. Tell us a little bit about Tasco, right? We, you and I got to interact a good bit. We had you on one of our mini episodes last week. Tell us about your Tasco experience, what you presented, your big takeaways. Man, I don't know if we have enough time for that. Number one, Tasco, fantastic. Uh, the coaches presenting the topics. We talked about about this off air that it, it, it is exponentially getting more in depth. And I would say more, I don't want to say content driven, but more aligned to things that for us as high school coaches going to do, we want to see. And so I thought that was fantastic. Obviously your podcast other people that are kind of joining the mix to kind of make it kind of a full event was, was really cool. Um, was there, did a presentation on recruiting. I could spend a lot of time with you here, like speaking about why I would want to speak about that. I think Cliff Notes version would be right now there's a, a war going on within recruitment, within college soccer. And a lot of that is international players, overage mm. players, junior college recruiting, NAI recruiting or high school recruiting kind of going into your senior year of high school, going into programs as freshmen. And I think a big disservice to that is the high school coach or club coach or parents in the recruiting process and what incoming freshmen, what their mindset is going into a school. And bottom line is I think it's actually hurting them. And so coaches are looking at different avenues to win games um, because there are certain aspects of recruiting incoming freshmen that that's not being productive within our programs. And at the end of the day, our job is to win games. That's how we keep a job. And so, you know, if we could better educate parents, players, coaches on the recruiting process and what that looks like and, you know, what your expectations should be going into a program. I think that benefits everybody. And so that was kind of the main point of emphasis on for high school coaches is like, hey, you know, if you if you want to help recruit your athletes, you got to be brave. And and I gave a couple of quotes at the beginning of the, the lecture and then at the end of just stepping outside of your comfort zone. It, it might be something you're not used to the recruiting process, but just because you're not used to it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be doing it. And so. Um, hopefully we gave some good information that makes them a little more comfortable to, to reach out. And then um, really just kind of, obviously I have like this side thing that, that, that we're doing as, as far as camps and college coaches and really wanting to, to connect with, with high school coaches in the state of Texas, just because that's close to my heart and that's where I was. So I had a boot there, but overall 
fantastic experience. Uh, it was a long week. It was a fun week. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm hoping that the, the recruiting talk, you would say, could kind of spur a little bit of enthusiasm in the high school sector as far as like, hey, I, I'm a coach. I know this player. I'll, I want to help you get recruited. I might not, you know, have the best means to go about it or the best resources, but I'm here for you. This is what you want to do. I'm going to help you do that. And so if we can get more people around the table advocating for student athletes, it's not only better for them, but it's better. It's, I think it's better for everybody involved. Now, I'm curious. Tell us what was the takeaway or maybe you got questions or interest. What was the interaction with the high school coach in attendance during your presentation there at Tasco? Because, you know, you had about a little, little less than 100 um, people in attendance there for your presentation, which, as you know, at Tasco, with all the different things going on at that same moment, that's that's really good, right? In terms of a presentation, what was what was that interaction like? What was the questions? Was there a yeah, common yeah. theme in terms of the questions you were maybe getting from high school coaches? What was that about? Yeah, so I think we we really kind of sp split the the topic up into four sections, and it was like rules and regulations was the first part. That's the very boring stuff they could look it up, but just running through that. Then talked about, you know, what the responsibilities were of their athletes. So the number one thing we wanted to convey was, hey, this isn't on you, the coach. Like recruiting is on the player themselves. Like their their job, of if they want to get recruited, is to push it themselves. Then after that, we spoke about what us, the college recruiters, were really looking for and how we kind of went about making decisions. Now, to be honest, that's all subjective because it's from my viewpoint. Someone else might have a little bit of a different one, but I tried to to generalize it in a way. And then the last part of it was, Hey, as a high school coach, what can you do? And so we went through that. I took a, I had a current player. I had, uh, I think the most beneficial part, I think the coaches said they got out of it was, you know, we talked about what an email should look like when you write to a coach, what a highlight video should look like. What, what do you put first? How, what do you put last? What kind of music do you put on? What's the, the length of it? What kind of highlights? And so I actually took a current player, Shout out to Emery because he kind of let me do this, but he, he let me put up his intro email to, to me and to Dan and then also his highlight video. And so we were able to, to show that to play it. And so I think coaches got a good bit of information about what it looked like. And so, I mean, the questions I would say that they had the most of, OK, how do we connect? I think that's mm -hmm. number one. How do if we want to help our players get recruited, how do we how are we going to connect to these coaches? And so. You know, there's a lot of different avenues with that. Is there an easy answer? No. And so that's why I think that's why recruiting from high schools and high school coaches has, has there's been such a disconnect is because it's not easy. And so at some point, um, present or future, we've got to find a way to to find this connection between my again, specifically as a college coach to you, the high school coach. Right. Well said. Thoughts on this. So. Last week, I asked you about how far, you know, how far has soccer, Texas high school soccer come, right? What's changed the most maybe in the last five years? <clears throat> Question I have for you this week is where do you see it going? Specifically, Texas high school soccer. Where do you see it going in the next five years? Man, I, I might get some bad comments on this, <laughs> but I'm going to be as bluntly honest as possible. I think it doesn't change a whole lot of where it is now. And I, when I say that, I say, you know, when I got into it in 2010, I could count 
50 coaches who were football co- American football coaches that had to coach soccer, those kind of things. When I look at the avenue now, there's way less. And even those high school football, American football coaches that are coaching are still valuing their position where they are. So they're trying to get information. They're trying to learn the game. Mm-hmm. Um, tactically, I think, is skyrocketed. So, you, you know, I look at the, the avenue now. There's no DA. I, I would say 96 to 98 percent of players that are playing club soccer are playing high school soccer. I think there are, there are small amounts that aren't. But I think the, the quality is that the quality is where it's going to be. So when I look at it, I say, okay, well, what's the next thing that has to change? Well, for me, the the glaring thing is the recruitment side. Um, recruitment very rarely happens at the high school side. So I, my conversation, my comments are, if we're gonna, you're gonna keep growing this high school Texas, uh, high school soccer in Texas, you have to add that piece because that's the neck, that's the connecting line between high school soccer and the next stage. Just like me as a college coach, Division One. Now I have to to educate myself on the next level: the MLS, USL two, sorry, USL League One, USL League Championship, right. the MLS Draft, generational play, generation play, Adidas players. Those are all things that I have to navigate now. Because whether my kids do it or not, I have to know it. I have to have to be in a position to to be able to help move them on further. And so I think that's where. Honestly, that's the call in arms that I think high school coaches have to be at right now. This yeah. change, I think, can only happen with the majority. It, it, you know, we can string we, – we already know those high school coaches that are already doing what I'm saying. They have connections. They're reaching out. Uh, they they have these little things where they're getting uh, players recruited. I, I know that's happening behind the scenes because I'm doing that. If you look at our roster of Texas kids and I, there's other teams, High Point has it. Um, a lot of people have connections, but I think as a whole, the majority of high school soccer coaches have to get into a mindset and saying, hey, let's let's use this. Let's help c- get connections to move our players on. Well said. Well said. Great stuff. So I got actually before I get to that, let me I got uh, Mr. Bed Bandit here opening up uh, Pandora's box. <laughs> What's the best city in Texas to recruit? Uh, your call. You can choose to or not or not. No, I mean, I, I told you, I told you, and I told myself when I came on here, I was going to be bluntly honest. There you okay? go. Now, my favorite city is Houston, but if you said the best city, I'm going to have to go to the Dallas Metroplex. Um, I think uh, not only is it probably opinion based, but if you look at trophies and all those different things, whether it be high school club, whatever. Um, I think the Metroplex is has proven that, that that's where they are for the majority of the time. And, and I think, you know, there are other cities that are that are fighting to, to supersede them. But I think right now that is probably the best city um, to yeah. recruit in. Not my favorite, but the best. There you go. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be pretty hard pressed to argue against that. Right. In terms of the data. Um, but but I think in terms of I don't know, tier is not the right word, but I think when you look at it on the girls side on the women's side i i personally feel that it is probably the second best hotbed in the country i'm talking about dallas fort worth here um maybe the second best hotbed of talent in the country behind southern california i would say so some people may argue with me on that but uh, now on the on the men's side on the boys side 
I don't quite know because of the numbers and how it all stacks up. I don't know quite where you would rate that entirely, but it's obviously very high. I would say top five. Um, I know you have like Chicago area, New, New York, New Jersey. You have a little bit of Florida, but Dallas is right there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this brings us to our last question here, Coach. We've been talking about the recruiting piece. And so in addition to and part of while, why you were there at Tasco last week was your role as founder of Texas, the Texas Soccer Network. Give us a brief, just a brief talk as to what it's about, the mission, and what uh, where you're what you're going to be doing with them soon. Yeah, so this is something that I've you know in my mind I've, I've thought about for a long time for my first couple of years as a high school coach, but just that concept of being able to connect high school coaches with college coaches. And so um, a lot of different avenues we could do that. But um, I think the the most forward looking pathway for that is through identification camps where, where kids are already, players are already trying to, to go to these camps to, to, to get recruited. Um, we do have that piece on it, but equally enough, our piece is to, to connect those high school coaches, whether their kids are out or not to the high school coaches that we have bringing in. So, the number one question that I get is like, okay, so how do we connect with these coaches? Well, uh, this is kind of that piece of the puzzle for me in that if I can can own or strategically plan where coaches are going, and I, I personally have connections to these high school coaches, can we kind of get them together um, for a mutual benefit? Uh, obviously, I would love the benefit to be through me and through Winthrop as well, but we know that's not not always the case. And so can we grow the sport in that way? I'm a Texas high school soccer player. I grew up in East Texas. Uh, I'm a first-generation graduate from, from college, and so soccer has a big role to play for me. And so I know there's a lot of players in, in Texas that are getting overlooked, uh, not seen, and, and a lot of that has to do with the recruiting process, uh, whether it be the number of schools in Texas or um, – the advocates that the players have or the lack of knowledge the players have to, to be able to move on. And so, um, you know, our name gets brought up through the camps that we do, but we also want to be much more than that. We want to be a connection piece to high school coaches or even to the players themselves that um, might have want to get in front of certain coaches that they ultimately can't get in front of. What can we do as a network, um, Texas soccer network to be able to help that. And so, um, those are different things that we're looking at. We're definitely in the, the infant stage of what we're right. doing. And so we we have a mission. We have a vision. We don't necessarily know how all that will play out. Um, but we do know whatever we do, we will stick to that mission and that vision. And so that, that's that's where, really where we're at. We were playing an event in December. We really didn't get the numbers we were wanting to be able to, to, to host it. And so right. we pushed it back to the spring. But for us, and me and you've chatted about this, and that when you're passionate about something or you, you see a need and you know it's there, um, if, if it's not, if it doesn't work right away, it doesn't mean that it won't work. And so um, we just want to kind of be out there in the scene uh, in Texas with high school coaches saying, hey, whether we have a camps or not, like, let's connect. Let's mm -hmm. help bridge the gap and move players um, that you have in, into different avenues to get, give the best look for the kid. In my position, the biggest thing that I see right now that's the issue 
is that players are going into universities and the colleges because of an idea that they have. Um, maybe it's not the best fit. Um, and, and best fit comes in a lot of different avenues. Financially, is it the best right. fit? Size, school, distance, playing. Are you okay with a name and being the person that sits? Like, are you okay with that? You talk about it, but are you really okay with it? Or would you rather um, go to a place to where, um, you know, you have more of the ability? Or do you have enough confidence in yourself to say, okay, I'm going to sit the first year. I might even get redshirted, but then I'm really going to fight for the position. And so can we create um, an environment around players to where they can make the best decisions necessary for their development. And this isn't a new topic. I think everybody that's in the competing space, whether it be competing coaches, com competing recruiting sites, uh, we all say the same thing. Can you find, can you get into the right fit? And so um, I think the more people we bring to the table around a player, they can make the best decision um, for them. Because if a player comes in and leaves, it's not beneficial to us, the university. It's not beneficial to the to the player. It's not beneficial to the parents that are footing the bill. So can players find their right fit? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we've spoken to that for years now. I've personally spoken to that in, you know, my previous role as a recruiting coordinator when I was working independently um, in, in El Paso as well. And, yeah, I mean, right fit is such a – that is a moving scale in terms of a definition, right? And yeah. It's very vague. Yeah. I mean, that is true. Seriously, that is a, we could dedicate a season of podcast episodes just to that. Yep. Um, and there's a, I have a set criteria in terms of what I help break down when I work with that student athlete and that parent of identifying the non-negotiables. Right. Yep. And then I can talk with you more offline off that, but yeah, I think it's that educational piece matters. It, it really does. And it doesn't matter, you know, how, what, you know, socioeconomic level you are, that you're still, we're all still in that same boat when it comes to that. So yeah, well, I definitely agree with that. Um, and the other piece too, you know, we talk about what you're doing with uh, Texas Soccer Network and your camps, introducing the camps. One of the things that I really like what you're doing and can appreciate and really want to share with the public is that you're making it a point to truly make it affordable. Now, what is affordability? That's, again, that's also a moving target, right? But um, I think the big thing that we're noticing now with ID camps is, you know, they're, <laughs> they're not going down in price, right? They're not right. They're, they're only in increasing in price. So, and rightfully so I, I respect that with, with camp staffs, I get, especially when you've got a lot of coaches coming out or set amount of coaches, I get that. Right. I, I do I don't knock that one bit, but the fact that you all are doing it, tackling it differently, I think speaks volumes in terms of what Texas soccer excuse me, Texas soccer network is about. Yeah. It's um, you know, I think that's, and, and I grew up, my, my parents were able to provide me with everything that I needed in life. Uh, but I do know, and I'm a twin and we both played. So if I was constantly doing all kinds of camps and we both were financially, that that's obviously something that's not sustainable. And especially on the men's side, on the men's side, it's football. Soccer is a very low income sport for players. And so, our whole objective is for kids to get seen. And so if you're going to take the majority out of that because it's not affordable, then what is really your mission? And so our what we have to do on our back end, like you said, is how can we 
cut some corners to, to provide something that is um, cost effective to, to players to be able to join in. And so even within that, there are obviously rules to this. Uh, before getting into this, uh, I'm a part of all kinds of camps and there's some great ones out there. Uh, but kind of knowing the rules and regulations for the NCA of how you can do it and what you can charge and what you can't charge and who you can charge it to, those are things that you know, you have to, to abide by and go by. So having to navigate that has been, been a little bit of fun and right. self-growth there as well. And so, but yeah, self-growth. That's, it, that's one way of putting it self-growth. Yeah. Like. Self-growth. That's what we're always kind of trying to be about, but it's uh, you know, we, we don't know where it's going to go. We're very excited for the future. It's like I said, it's, it's not my full-time job. My passion is playing, uh, coaching, being in games, being on the training field. And so, um, that, that's still my number one passion, but that coincides with that is this passion of helping players move on. So it just comes out to the idea of how can we do that? What can, what can we do, um, specifically TSN to help change the narrative of high school coaching and soccer? And that, cause I think we've all been in a position at some point as a high school coach where you feel less worthy than, um, a peer that's coaching somewhere else. And I think everybody in the high school soccer scene has been through that at some level. Yeah. And honestly, for me, I think it's really a false narrative. And so what can we do to help further the profession um, in Texas? Because there's so many great things that are coming out of Texas high school soccer. And not only that are coming out, but that can still come out of it. And I think that can be even better. Yeah. Great stuff. Making connections for sure. And uh, speaking of connections, let us tell you about our great friends uh, at Gipper. So Gipper is the way schools, athletic departments, ADs, and coaches create world-class marketing content. Join over 3,000 coaches, ADs, sports information directors, and fellow, fellow peers that use Gipper to create high-quality visual branded graphics for your program. The best part, anyone can do it in seconds on any device without needing any design experience whatsoever. If you do have design experience, you are what they call the power user. It's specifically designed for you as well. So it's a win-win no matter what. And just for being a 50-50 podcast listener and supporter, you get to save money. So listeners of the 50-50 podcast receive 10% off any first-time Gipper purchase. Visit gipper.com slash partner slash 50-50 to learn more. Again, that's 10% off any first-time Gipper purchase. Simply visit gipper.com slash partner slash 50-50. And I also want to tell you about our great friends at Global Scarves, who we also got to connect with last week at Tasco. They were there doing great stuff. Kyle and Bill uh, had them, had Kyle come on the podcast as well, did a little mini episode with him. Global Scarves is the top provider of custom-knitted scarves, beanies, and other fan merchandise in the U.S. All merch is fully custom with free design services and free shipping on all orders. Contact them at info at globalscarves.com to get any free designs or quotes built out for your school, club, even if you want to do personal ones, you're part of a supporter group, what have you, maybe as well. Uh, we have a lot of, obviously, a lot, a lot of people that listen that play club. You want to consider them. Again, you can contact them at info at globalscarves.com and mention the podcast or use the code, mention the code hashtag 5050pod, and they'll be sure to take care of you. So, all right, coach, it is that moment of truth, counterattack time where we get to uh, have some fun with you a little bit, uh, partially at your expense. I'm just kidding. No, we let's go for it. Not at your expense. So, all right, here we go. First question out of the gate. Morning person or night owl? Easily morning. Morning? All right. Easily. Yeah. 
I tell people all the time, it's like, hey, they think it's like I am a early riser, not a morning person. So <laughs> no, I'm like 90. I yeah. I'm, I can get up at five and yeah. go get a workout in, but then I I'm in bed by 9:30. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I wish I was that guy. I'm not that yeah. guy. So all right, King Kong or Godzilla? King Kong. All right. That was pretty quick. You sound like you had that one ready. Uh, I mean, I just, I, I'm not, I, I don't really know the videos, but in my mind, I'm, I'm just thinking King Kong. All right. So obviously you were an educator before, so you can't yep. use that one. But if not a coach, you would have been, or you would be what? Man, uh, it's kind of crazy, but I would say either a detective or an archaeologist. I know those are two totally different wow. avenues, but <laughs> yeah. it'd be one of those. All right. The first time I think both of those have been dropped. So, okay. all right. Professional coach, maybe obviously you have a ton of respect for, but I use this loosely, right? Professional coach, you pattern yourself after, or you kind of find yourself referencing quite a bit. Man. Um, see, you got me stumped on that one. So, I, I mean, I think I, I try to take traits for, for a lot of, a lot of people, but um professionally i mean you know i consider high school coaches professional coaches too but if i don't want if i'm not using them i i would say i did a coaching course with tony DeChico mm. really early on and there were a lot of things for some reason that kind of stuck with me um uh in my mind with him but then you know a lot of mentors through us soccer doing coaching courses carlos juarez shout out to him he's um he was like you're in Klinsman, right-hand man um, during kind of his reign, but he's a phenomenal coach. Um, there, there's a there's a number of them. I think professionally in a game that everybody sees um, that that you kind of want to, to mimic or look at, I, I, I could go through, through a number. But for me, um, Mourinho in, in his prime day was, was massive for me, and I think a lot of it, not so much tactics, because I don't necessarily agree with his tactics, but he, the way he had – he was able to do man management and to, to keep right. a locker room together. Now, when that locker room was not a part of him, he was out the door really quick. Um, <laughs> yeah. But there, there's a lot of things there that, that, and he was a professor, he was a professor by trade as well. He was a teacher. So I mm -hmm. think, you know, I, I think us as teachers, coaching, teaching is the exact same thing. One's in the classroom, one's on the Correct. field. So. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Mourinho is one of those that somehow I just, I wish I didn't like the guy as much as I do, but I just, anything, yeah, <laughs> whenever yeah. he's just, he's like must watch TV, man. He really is. Uh, he, and he's out of the limelight uh, as, yeah. you know, a little bit of recent, but uh, right. he's, he's great. I think he's filming more rap videos. I don't know. That's probably what Yeah, no, exactly. Um, so yeah, you know, the other thing too, what I appreciate is that's the second consecutive week. Last week at Tasco, we had it. That's a second consecutive week of a, uh, a Tony DeChico reference where really? He was so he was my he was my instructor for my NSCAA level three and advanced uh, goalkeeping course. So, yeah, yeah, he used to run those. Yeah, yeah I, I so, actually did one with him. I think it was in San Antonio, so not not really? far from Rio. Way, way back in the day. Wow. Yeah. So big big shout out to the late great Tony yep. DeChico, a personal coach who I greatly greatly admire as well. So a pioneer in the game in this country yeah, for sure. So for sure. All right, next one: current music and podcast playlist what's in that rotation right now oh man um you know my players you know get me on some some different things so it depends on what avenue i'm in so if like if i'm chill working i you know i, I put on the pandora it's uh 
the gorillas radio, but it's a lot of like indie rock kind of stuff. So um, that's one way my, our guys get me on to like some workout music, little Dirk. Um, Yeah. I'm a big uh, man. I'm a little old school. Like I'm big on Kid Cudi and and some other things. So um, listen to to that route podcast. To be honest with you, I don't want to say yours because I I don't want to shoot it there, but I don't do a lot of podcasts, but to keep up with, Texas soccer and what's kind of going on. I've told you this before. I listen to your podcast just because it there keeps me informed. Yeah. Look at that. See, I was waiting, right. waiting for that one. All right. There we go. Yeah. Awesome. Great stuff. So nothing else in the like the podcast rotation? No, absolutely. Um, you I mean, know, there's a ton of great ones for for soccer and coaches. Man. Well, I'm gonna I'll plug my wife into this because I uh, wasn't going go. to smart man. He's a massive crime junkie and she probably listens to like six or seven podcasts a day on different topics on that regard. So I, even though I don't listen to it, I, I hear about them. Um, and so for everybody that has a wife, you know, like they're going to convey that stuff. They're going to talk about it. So um, I get to hear about some, some crime junkie podcasts quite a bit. True crime. The true crime genre in podcasting is consistently in like the top two, top three at worst in terms of genres for podcasts. Really? Yeah, it's I can, like, I can see that. I mean, I don't do podcasts, but I watch Murders in the Building. That's kind of like a podcast. Yeah, um, through a TV show. So yeah. there's a ton. There's a ton of awesome ones that I'm. Your wife's probably listening to them, but I can share them with you offline. They're they're pretty. They're pretty cool. There's some pretty. There's a really cool one too. That's, um, I don't know. I forget what the genre is. That's out of. It's actually out of Austin. That's kind of like a. Para, like a paranormal, I guess. Yeah, so, yeah. I don't know what the genre. I got to look up the genre it falls under, but I can share that with you. But yeah, yeah, cool. dude, because that will bring me some talking points, and I'll, I'll get some brownie points. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. So, all right, watching a movie alone in a theater, yes or no? Done it. Um, as as any recruiting coach would know, you're on the road quite a bit by yourself, so sometimes you have to fill time. So I would say I, I don't necessarily like it. The only thing I do like about it is if it's a movie I want to see that nobody else wants to see, it's very easy. Boom, there there I go. Um, but no, I, I think the movie experience needs to be shared. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna say no to that. No. But, but I do do it. Yeah. Okay. All right. So last movie. It's a back-to-back movie questions here. Last movie you saw in the theater? Man, I think that would have been the new Top Gun movie. I'm thinking. Oh, really? That's, yeah. It's been a minute. It's, it's, been, it's been a while. Year and a half, I think, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, just went to go watch. I'll share this one with you since that came up. Um, just went to go watch on, I think, was it Tuesday? Sometime this week. Went to go watch uh, Napoleon. Maybe it was Wednesday. Uh, Napoleon. I'm supposed to go tomorrow. So tell me if 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 I'm going to waste my money or if it's going to be good. No, it's yeah. I'll yeah. I don't want to. Spo- I don't want to totally spoil it. But yeah, it is. It is definitely worth seeing. And and if you're going to go see it in IMAX, especially, that'll really be worth okay. the money. Yeah, for sure. So, all right, bucket list destination place you get place you got to go before it's before it's a wrap. Man, I would say Santorini. Oh, nice. I've, that one's come up before. That one's come up before. If if I'm if we're gonna go United States, no anywhere, whatever's yeah yeah. But I did I did worldwide. If I if I do the United States, I would have to say, I know this sounds terrible, but I've never been to the Grand Canyon, so I'd have to check. I need to check that out. Not even flown over it and looked down. Not even I've that. probably flown over it a hundred times, but no, never never okay. seen it. 
in person. All right. First Grand Canyon reference. I like that. All right. You are Zane Barnes is appointed soccer czar in America, right? You're in charge of all of it. Everything, everything. It's Promotion relegation done. Promotion relegation. That's the first thing you'd change. First right thing. Now, right out of the first thing. Period. All right. Simple. I like that. Get, as a coach, not as a player, game day superstitions or rituals. Dude, I got too many of them. Um, Which so one? If, like one or more at some at some point, Dan is going to come back through and look at this because <laughs> he's got his mind for this. But I have to have one of these. Oh, every pregame or halftime, not not both, because then man, you're smashing them at halftime. Do what? You're smashing them at halftime. Wow. Oh man, I'll I'll smash it at halftime when I come out. Um, we have we we did have a slight. I will say when we beat Coastal Carolina this year, we yeah. we I don't know if we washed our clothes for the for the next match. Obviously, that wasn't the thing that that helped us win. We found that out real quick, but. We, me and him always find little superstitions that we try to get right um, as we go throughout. Now, we got to get better at it, obviously, but uh, we're going to find that niche at some point. Mm. It's always been, I've mentioned it before, I'll mention it again. It's always been one of the more fascinating things and why I love to ask it to coaches is because for some reason, I don't know why, but, you know, coaches are very regimented. They believe in certain things, don't believe in certain things or whatever, But but yet when it comes to superstitions right they turn into like wardrobe divas right it's yeah like, hey, we don't even I, yeah. I don't even believe in superstitions but my whole routine is set up to where i can try to make it like where i think it gives us the best opportunity to win a match when, the, when that's the thing that's furthest from the players minds but yeah you're right for us as a, as a staff we're like okay what can we do now like carry the we need to take these balls not these ones or i hate hate these warm-up bibs let's take these yeah yeah all right next one lake ocean or river definitely oh man the river one got me but I, i'm i'm a lake i'm not no saltwater no I'll, I'll be okay with a lake mountains and a lake yeah there you go that's me too i'm not ocean kind of you know the beach sounds cool don't get me wrong what i think people think of beach rather than ocean when it comes to the ocean but it just i don't know i'm kind of terrified of the ocean personally it's like yeah we I, don't the fact that we know more about space than What's underneath the depths the of the ocean? Yeah. Yeah. If, if I can't see my feet, don't really want to be in there. So, I mean, obviously that takes out a good amount of, of, of lakes too, but I kind of know what's in a lake. Yeah. Um, but I, I tell people vacation, I'll go to the beach all the time, but I don't want to live there. Um, I want to, I want to be at a lake and a mountain. Let, let me live there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, I agree. I agree. All right. Favorite number and why? nine which is strange because i was a goalkeeper and so um just uh, to be honest with you not not quite sure i think i liked the number before i even knew why i liked the number yeah. um obviously getting into college i wore zero all four years and i did that in high school as well so zero holds a little special place in my heart but um number nine um for sure now you know i don't know if it's because of the the real ronaldo um or, or not, but um, number nine. Okay, good. Last one here, Coach. All right. Being completely objective, right? Scale of one to ten. How good or bad of a driver are you, right? A one is your, like, your driver's license should be revoked immediately, and a ten is you are the, the driving standard. I would say a seven. Um, seven and a half. Uh, I do a lot of this 
I like I get distracted sometimes, but other than that, I'm a very defensive driver. Uh, I actually just had to pick up our Eagle drive bus uh, on Tuesday because I'm one of the only few staff members that have a bus certification. And I had that obviously from being a high school coach. High school. So um, I think they definitely teach defensive driving in that. So mm-hmm. I would say I'm pretty good. Knock on wood. I've never driven while being in a wreck. And so I want to continue that trend. Um, so I would say seven and a half. Okay. I think you're being a little modest there, man. If you, you just drop that data there, that's uh that's a good thing though, but awesome. Well said, uh, coach, this has been phenomenal. Have really, that brings us to the end. Um, have really loved having you on, being able to connect with you, uh, multiple levels leading up to prior to Tasco last week at Tasco, and then getting you right back on here this week. I know it's, it's about to get very busy for <laughs> for me as well. So um, grateful that uh, you can give us your time and really respect what you're doing as well. Not only at Winthrop, we wish you the absolute best next year, right in the spring, as well as in the fall, but also what you're doing with Texas Soccer Network. Um, but before we go, wanted to go ahead and give you uh, in stoppage time here and give you give you an opportunity to anything you have to plug, any shout outs, thank yous, anything that's on your mind as it relates to the game. The floor is yours. Awesome, Hector. Well, first, obviously, thank you for having me on. Love what you're doing with Fifty uh, Fifty Podcasts and what you're doing to cover the high school scene in Texas. Not only the high school scene, but um, what's going on around with, you know, whether it be Coach Waldron or um, anybody else that's kind of out there that's that's coming in to speak for that used to be in Texas. So very appreciative of you. But for uh, for me, my number one thing, kind of getting out of here, is high school coaches continue to do what you're doing. Uh, you have a massive impact on the kids that you have, whether you think it or not. We're definitely seeing benefits of that for players that are coming into us. And let's keep pushing forward and making the game better in Texas because uh, I know that it is. And so, you know, if anybody has any questions just in general on recruitment, whether you're on the men or women's side, obviously reach out to me. You can find me on the Winthrop website. Other than that, we have the best profession in the world. Let's not take it for granted. We just got done with Thanksgiving. So let's go out with an open heart and and a heart of gratitude and try to change some lives. And so I, I our lives were probably changed at some some respect for, for the game that we play. And so can we be that for somebody else? Yeah. Well said. Perfectly said. I love that, Coach. Thank you. And yeah, I mean, you're right. Uh, just exceptional, our profession. I think you and I. We've definitely connected just based upon the fact of the passion we have for the game. And I'm grateful to be this game, what it provides and just and even social media. Right. And soccer Twitter and just the opportunity. It can be a powerful tool for positivity as well. So being able to connect with individuals such as yourself. Grateful, grateful for you. Grateful for your time. Um, thankful to all our supporters, our listeners. Obviously, Thanksgiving was just yesterday, but very important that I share that and uh, that we share that as as our team. Our team continues to grow. We're excited about the upcoming Texas high school soccer season, our coverage as well. Um, just another year, another phenomenal year where there's so it just looks like so many aspects are are wide open. And uh, we're just, you know, you're the reason why we do it. We, we say, I say it over and over and over again, because it can never get lost on us that you all are collectively our community from coaches and student athletes to the parents, college coaches as well. You know, <clears throat> you really are the reason why we do it. We're grateful for that. And somehow, some way, I think I shared this with Zane last week. Uh, somehow we've managed to now we're being listened to in 48 countries around the world. Awesome. And, uh, 
pretty phenomenal stuff. We're humbled by that. We're grateful for it. But you all, at the end of the day, at the start and at the end, are why we do it. So we're grateful for you. Thank you uh, to all our student athletes out there listening. I said this the other day on our show on the Inside Texas High School Soccer podcast. Uh, got tryouts coming up. Many of you a little anxious, maybe a little nervous. Just go out there, prep the best you can. You've already prepped, right? Just go out there, focus on what you can control, control the controllables, and just let it rip, right? Let the best version of you shine out there regardless, and uh, everything else will fall into place. So wishing everybody the best, and we'll be coming back to you soon with more episodes in December. December, we're going to have a couple more. Uh, Emily Horvath from uh, Austin Anderson will be joining us. I know Jake Plant from UIW, University of Incarnate Word Women's Soccer. Uh, we have a couple more episodes that will be coming before the end of the year in December, as well as our three-year anniversary episodes. So be on the lookout for those, and we'll be sending more information on those as soon as we have that. So until the next time, again, for uh, Zane Barnes, assistant men's soccer coach, Winthrop University, as well as the founder of Texas Soccer Network, I'm your host, Coach Hector Cano. And until the next time, keep downloading and keep listening. You've been listening to the 5050 Podcast, powered by National Scouting Report. Help us continue to grow by liking, rating, and subscribing on all major podcast platforms. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at 50 underscore 50 pod, on Instagram at 50 underscore 50 podcast, as well as on YouTube at the 50 underscore 50 podcast. Until the next time, keep downloading and keep listening.